Um, before we get into um, Acts chapter 1, we've already studied a portion of it, and I'm going to take a look at a very important passage to Calvary Chapels and to the body of Christ as a whole. Um, I wanted to share with you, last night uh, there was um, a school board meeting, and uh, we... Um, we gathered a number of folks together, and they were debating the implementation of AB uh, 1266, which is a transgender bathroom bill. And just to share with you, um, AB 1266, um, so if, if you were fluid in your gender, meaning that you change, uh, this doesn't speak anatomically, this, this means how you feel. And it's self-diagnosed by the student, and the student can go into any bathroom that they choose. Um, and so what was pro- proposed by one board member was, let us give separate facilities so as not to uh, infringe on the civil rights, the, which is the Fourth Amendment, the right to privacy, on the 19,700 students in our school district, um, other than maybe, you know, 20 to 25 students that, that would, if that, and might not even be that, would choose to use any, and this doesn't just work in high school. This, this, come on, hang on. It's all right. Because I, I lose my train of thought, Bailey. It, this doesn't just work in high school. This is, this is elementary school. It works all the way through. And, um, and so what was proposed was well, separate facilities for those that are transgender fluid so that uh, those that would, would, mentally um, unite with their uh, uh, anatomical uh, gender uh, would, would have, which, which is by far and away the majority. So really what happened is a handful of folks just usurped the, the right to privacy of 19,700 students. And um, we sent notice out for folks to come and, and uh, we, we had a pretty good crowd uh, last year, had this vote occurred, it would have been four to one on the on the school board. Uh, this time, it was three to two. We we still lost. Um, and the the president, uh, Dr. Connolly, she she basically stated, I think this is one of the finest laws that the state has put forward. Um, I'm proud of what Sacramento has done. Now, in Sacramento, uh, a woman uh, to go into the women's restroom has to have a code. And it's women for women and men for men in the state capitol. But yet they would impose a social experiment upon our children. And parent after parent spoke. And, and nobody invoked anything pertaining. There was no religious zealots. There was nothing. It was civil and absolutely rejected. And I just looked and I thought, well, uh, Dr. Connolly and Pat Phelps are both up for re-election in 2016. And if you think that Christianity is not supposed to be in politics... Well, then you tell that to the 19,700 students whose Fourth Amendment rights are now going to be infringed upon because the church doesn't do politics. And I just, I have to put that out there. And and apathy, because it says the consent of the governed is a declaration of independence by the consent of the governed. So apathy is consent for the opposition. So don't do anything. And wonder why Christ's presence isn't infused in the community. When we have this privilege to be involved in making a difference in our community. And nowhere, 
Nowhere was there an insult to the transgender community or the LGBT community. As a matter of fact, I even called the log cabin Republican and said, how can I best represent you and represent myself in regards to this issue? And we had, you know, neat conversation. The one person I want to talk to, I couldn't get, but I'll talk to him tomorrow. And the reality is they look at it as this is an infringement. Many do as an infringement on the civil rights of the majority. This is a bad law that nobody knows anything about. And, and, and ignorance doesn't work. So how many of you have elementary age students? The public schools just radically changed for your kids. And, and they threw out 127,000 signatures that stood in opposition to this bill. And they won't let people see which ones they threw out or why they threw them out. 127,000 signatures. And if we don't do anything, then enjoy it. So, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, this is public schools, but more than likely, they'll require that. Yeah. Yep. That's why the homeschooling community is going to, and they're going. That's going to be the next step. They're going to shut down homeschooling in the next step. But don't do anything. Just relax. Christians don't do politics. Just relax. And, and be upset with me because I'm saying it from the pulpit. I mean, who are you to do that from the pulpit? Just so throw that out there. All right. No, no, no. no. Let's just come up. Thank you, Bailey. But uh, let's get into the word. All right. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Oh, one more thing. The idea of getting engaged in the community. I joined Kiwanis. And, uh, and I think I'm, I was one of the fastest people to go from a new member to a, a full member because you have to fulfill five of the 10 things on the list. And I got this today. I was totally stoked. I, I was thinking it would take months to get this. And I think it's because I went to visit the president when she was in hospital. So, all right. Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one. Now we took, took a look at this. Uh, opening passage, we, we put it into context that Luke wrote it. Uh, he's writing it to Theophilus, and in writing it to him, we know that this was a wealthy man, that he, he was probably a senator in the Roman realm. Um, he, he wanted to see what was taking place. Luke, in, in uh, thankfulness to being assigned probably to the Apostle Paul, Luke was probably Theophilus' um, assigned assistant or hired assistant, uh, excuse me, physician, because back then you, you didn't have, you know, government-run health care. You'd get your own physician. And so Theophilus gives Luke to Paul as he travels to help with his health. And so Luke is the most prolific writer of the New Testament. He wrote the gospel according to Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. So he has the, the most pages, the most words of any uh, writer of the New Testament, even more so than the Apostle Paul. Uh, we came to see, too, that, that he wanted to describe to Theophilus uh, not only Christ's life, but what occurred, the acts, not of the apostles, but it's more like the acts of the Holy Spirit, um, how the church just absolutely exploded, what's taking place, and he wanted to keep him abreast, writing these things to him to encourage him and empower him. And now we come to this passage of scripture where <clears throat> we looked previously at the conclusion of the Gospels when Jesus said, uh, the, 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 the Father 
wait upon the promise of the Father, and you'll be endowed with power from the Holy Spirit. And so they were to go and to wait upon the Father, waiting for this promise of the Father, this gift of the Father. And, and now we find uh, in, in chapter 1, uh, Luke is writing and, and reflecting um, on, on this, what Jesus said. And we're going to find it in verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to camp on this for a little bit because it is a, a verse that is misunderstood, overused. Um, and I, I want to take a look at it. Luke writes and repeating what Jesus says, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now I say this because uh, there's, there's this idea of the Holy Spirit taking up residence in your life. And we've been studying on Sunday mornings uh, the gospel according to John, yes? yes? And we got to John chapter 3, and in John chapter 3 we saw that, uh, that the, the, the command in a sense, the imperative that, that Jesus said to Nicodemus, do, do not marvel that I say you must be born again. And then Nicodemus, as we've gone through this, is saying, does a man go back into his mother's womb? He says, no, that is of what is of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is spirit is of the spirit. He says, you, you must be born of the spirit. Now, what does this mean? This means that you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So everlasting life is this regeneration. You become a new creature in Christ. The old is past, the new is come. We've talked about this on Sunday mornings, the trichotomy of man, um, where it's, it's body, soul, and spirit. And, and the, the spirit would dictate to the psyche what the body, the soma, would do. And this was, this was the way God designed man, created in our image. This is a man who's walking in obedience, who's on track with what God desires. Let me explain what I mean by on track. It's what Amtrak calls the third rail. Uh, uh, did you all see the accident in Philadelphia and all the people that died? A train goes nowhere when it comes off the tracks. When the train is on the track, it has power. Do not deny the third rail, which is the, tr the, the tracks themselves. The train will have power, but it's got to be on track. And, and this, is, this is the idea that we're aligned with God, that, that our, his spirit dictates to our mind what our body will do. Now, in the, in the Garden of Eden, when man and woman disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and as Dr. Lumalas pointed out, Probably in that fruit was every murder, every disease, every malady. The minute that fruit was open, the world was poisoned. Fascinating insight. I, I can't wait to hear his book and, and just st stunned by the insight. But at this point, the spirit of God departs from man. The pneuma, the ruach of God departs and man is operating uh, soulishly and fleshly. And, and so when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born of the spirit, you've got to be a new man again. And that means that the spirit comes back into your life by faith. It's by, it's, it's by grace through faith. Uh, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so you receive the Lord and you're regenerated. You're a new creature in Christ. Yes? So if you've received Christ as your savior... You believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, you're saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He has been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. So now we have this regenerative power, we have this transformation, this new creature in Christ. You've been born again, born of the Spirit. The, the, the seed of the Word of God with the egg or the intellect of man coming together and yielding, this, this, this produces a new life. 
And this is a spiritual birth. Now, many people say that is when the Holy Spirit comes into you. This is true. You, you now are uh, a temple of Christ. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And, and you were born of, of God. And, and we see this continually, that you're born of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, all have been made to drink into one spirit. So we see this, this idea that we have been born into the body of Christ. Spiritually speaking, we've been born into the body of Christ, and, 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 and this is what we are. But Romans 5, 6 says, when you were without strength. So mankind prior to knowing God, prior to receiving Christ, prior to being regenerated, prior to being born of the spirit, that's the world. And the problem with the world is it's unregenerated. And as a result of being unregenerated, it has no power. It's powerless. We think, well, how come it's accomplishing things? How does it get a three to two vote? How, how does it have a three to two vote in the supervisory board? How does it, how does it, how does it? They have no ability to say no to that. They're unregenerative. The only thing that they can do is they fall prey to every trend of culture. Culture is dictated and depending on who sets the culture. And if we abdicate our responsibility, they're prey to that. And they're prey to every wind of doctrine. They're, 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 they're prey to whatever anyone would do. And, and, and just by this, this zeitgeist, we can tell the world that it's, it's not a baby, it's a blob of tissue, and everyone buys into it. We, we can say that there's no such thing as, as you know, suicide. It's physician-assisted uh, uh, death, but it's not suicide. Um, it's not adultery, it's a choice. You go through the whole thing, and it's a wind of doctrine, it's a zeitgeist, and this unregenerated, powerless society falls prey to whatever is being portrayed on the television, and they just follow it, lock, stock, and barrel. They have no ability to say no. They are subject and prey to the culture. And this, they have no ability to stand against the tide of culture. They just become part of it. And if Christians don't set the culture, if Christians don't engage in the culture, if Christians don't, don't start to make a difference and we stay within the walls, nothing changes. They're all prey to whatever anyone's putting together. In, in the silence of what we don't do and the vacuum we create, it will be filled by forces opposite to what we believe. And so all of this unregenerative, powerless world is subject to the destruction of mankind. Let me explain to you. C.S. Lewis said, war and pestilence and disease doesn't doesn't increase death. Even abortion doesn't increase death. Everybody in every generation dies. It doesn't increase death. It expedites it. And we've come that they might have life and life more abundant, but we're, we're apathetic. And we're, we, we believe ourselves to be powerless. We read the scripture says we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We read these things. But when we're up against things that are bigger than us, we're, we're paralyzed and we're frightened. 
And here you see this idea that when we were without strength, when the world was without strength, that's when God came into our life. That's when he gave us power. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came that we might have life. That life is in him. And this is that regenerative life, this, this genuine ability to stand against the tide, to have a conviction that you're immovable, where you can see Peter denying Christ three times before the rooster crows, and then you see him standing in front of thousands, just fearless at the threat of death. The church stands against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We pull down strongholds. That's what we're called to do. But we look at the church and, and this, this promise of the Father, that we would be clothed, that, that the Holy Spirit would come upon us, that we'd be clothed with power, baptized and filled, that he'd pour his spirit out. We see in, in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is, this is that regenerative nature of, of receiving Christ as your Savior. You're part of the body of Christ. But you're powerless, but you're part of the body of Christ. In you has the ability for power. You, you've been regenerated, regenerated. You're on the track, but you have no steam in the engine. There's one body, it says in Ephesians 4, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And some of you are going, well, there's only one baptism. That, that's when you receive Christ. No. I can go through the scriptures and show you multiple things. What, the, what, what Paul is writing about here is he's speaking of a regenerative nature because he goes on to say in verse 7, but to each one of you, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When he ascended on high, he led captive and gave gifts to men, gifts to the Holy Spirit. These aren't apostolic gifts that died with the apostles. I mean, you may be a cessationist. You may believe that the gifts died with the apostles, but that's not the case. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You are now, you, when you receive Christ, you're now spiritually a part of the body of Christ. The train is on the track, but it's not moving. Acts 2.33 um, Luke writes, he says, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So he pours out his spirit upon them at Pentecost. You're gonna see this as we go later into the text. Acts 2.39, for the promises to you and, as, and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And we see this, and, and, and this, is, this, is a dif this is different. This is different. You have a regenerative power of receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are now part of the body of Christ. Congratulations. Amen? Amen. The train's on the track. You're aligned with God. The train's not moving. You have no, you have no steam in the engine, no power. And, and, and you have a supernatural task ahead of you. You're going to affect cultural change. You're going to stand, you're, you're going to stand against the tide of popular culture. You're going to stand in front of thousands fearlessly. You're going to stand for righteousness. You're going to stand for life. You're going to go in and you're going to pull down the gates of hell. And, and I love what Wilbur Smith, Don McClure, my pastor, talked to uh, Wilbur Smith, who was an amazing um, theologian and, and scholar and doctor, and he was brilliant. And, 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 uh, Don McClure said to Wilbur Smith, he said, what is the greatest enemy of the church today? Why, why is the church so apathetic? What is the greatest enemy of the church? And Dr. Smith said, the church has no enemies. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. There's nothing that can stand against the church. The problem is 
the church is dead in its orthodoxy. That's not to negate orthodoxy. That's not to negate the study to show yourself approved unto God. But you want, you want an intellectual ascent to all these things, but you're doing nothing. And the Lord says, you will be my witnesses. You won't witness. You'll be my witnesses. This is, this is a part of who you are. It's an aspect of who you are. You're on the track and you're moving. You're pushing back the gates of hell. You're, you, 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 you're, but in a dead orthodoxy, you're dead right. And the greatest enemy of the church is itself. Because the church has no enemies. Nothing can stand against God. In me, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. If God is for me, who and what can be against me? No weapon fashioned against you will stand. But here, we're on the track, but we're not moving. And he's called us to pull down strongholds. And we see this idea... Of, of the church being aligned with God, you know, spirit, psyche, mind, and soma body. It's aligned. It's on the tracks. Congrats. But let's put some steam in the engine. Let's get this thing moving where God wants us to go, what he's aligned us to do. He's created us be, uh, beforehand that we, it, to, do, to, to do good works, that we would walk in those. We're his workmanship, his poema. He's assigned these things. And for those of you saying, well, receiving Christ and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are one and the same thing. There's a regenerative aspect where you're aligned on the track, but, but work with me because if we just go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, Christ is preached in Samaria, starting in verse 4, I'll read it to you. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all have gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with their sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, meaning what he preached, when they believed Philip, because he preached to them, he preached Christ to them. We saw that in verse five. He preached Christ to them. When they believed Philip, it says, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized physically. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So will we say that they're saved? Yes or no? Hello? Yeah, they believed. They, he preached Christ. They believed. Is that not receiving Christ? Yes. Verse 14. Now when the apostles were at Jerusalem and heard Samaria had received the word of God, received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive what? Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Now wait a minute. If we're born again, born of the Spirit, don't we have the Holy Spirit? Yes. But what do they mean by receive the Holy Spirit? Let's look. For as yet he had not what? Fallen upon. He had fallen upon none of them. They'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money saying, give me what? This power, this dunamis, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. 
this, this dunamis, you know the word, it, it's where we get the word dynamite, but I like it more dynamic. It's, you know, not to blow everything up with our, our anger. Dunamis means that it's dynamic. There's power to it. It can destroy strongholds. It can, it, it can infiltrate. It can, it can clear pathways. I mean, it's just like the same train. If you're doing the transcontinental railway and you come to the Rocky Mountains, you just blow a hole in it and keep going. This is that dynamite. This is that dunamis, that dynamic power. They had received Christ, but they had no power. They were aligned, but the, the train wasn't moving. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Speaking of the Apostle Paul, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, which is a submission, what do you want me to do? I'm yours. The Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This regenerative power and then the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon. By the way, um, Bailey, let me have your cup there, will you? Your thing of water. You've seen this before, but we're going to do it again. That's all right. I'm a lousy catch. Uh, Yeah, here we go. Perfect. Look at this. God's so good. You've seen it, but we're going to do it again. This is you and me, right? And there's three prepositions. Oh, we're sliding, backsliding. <laughs> there's three prepositions presenting the Holy Spirit and how the, the Holy Spirit works in, in the lives of men and women. So you have us, and we're empty right? We're empty. We have a body and we have an intellect, but we have no spirit of God, no Ruach. That's the spirit, the water. And so the Bible says that he, the Holy Spirit, he's a person. You don't say, have you received uh, it? He is a person. The Holy Spirit is with, that's where we get the word para, parallel lines, alongside, right? He's with all men. Whether tonight you're a believer or not a believer, he's with you. And what does he do? He brings conviction of sin. He's a convictor of sin. He wants to show you that you're living in illusion. You think that that darkness that you're embracing that's killing you and your family and your relationships like we studied on Sunday, he wants to show you that it's doing you no good. He's, he's trying to remove this enchantment that you're, 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 this illusion that you've embraced. He wants to make you disillusioned with, with the lie. And he's there. Even tonight he's brought you here. And he's speaking to you. But you think you need whatever it is that's killing you. So he's with you. And then you start to realize, you say, come on up here, will you hold this for me? He comes alongside you and and you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. So Jesus Christ takes up residence in your life. And now you're born again of the Spirit. Yes? So this is a P. He's, He's in you. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is upon. Thanks. 
Now, the interesting thing about that, what happened? It's overflowing and it got it on you, didn't it? When you're baptized, one of the fascinating things, I love this, when you're baptized, baptism is a, an, an outward expression of an inward commitment. There's nothing mystical. It's obedience to, to identifying yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But I love this. This is one of my favorite things. We do the baptisms, typically in the summer, and then you come up out of the water. And that person gets out of the pool or the ocean, and they come up to their loved ones and they hug them. And what happens? They get them all wet. Whoever this vessel was, you were getting, the Lord was touching your life. Overflowing. From your innermost being will come torrents of living water. There's a dynamic aspect to it. It's like a a bubbling spring. And we're going to see this on Sunday with the the, uh, Samaritan woman when Jesus meets her at at Jacob's well. And, And she wants this living water so she won't thirst again. She's, she's, she's aligned, she's on the track, but, but, it, but here we're seeing this gift of God, which is steam in the engine. And this is, go back to verse eight of chapter one, but you shall receive dunamis, dynamic power, when the Holy Spirit has come what? Upon you. What preposition is that? That's the one that got your hand all wet in the floor, right? That's the overflow. Now I have to ask you this. Is your Christian life dynamic? I don't care if you're cessationist. I don't care if you're reformed. I don't care if you're, I don't care. I don't care. I want a a simple question for you. Is your Christian life dynamic? Is there love and joy and peace and patience? And are there gifts of the Spirit being made manifest? The gift of, of helps, the, the gift of administration, the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism. Uh, what, what gifts do you have? Which ones has he given you? Which ones have you asked for? How are they manifest in your life? If we were to ask people around you, because you may say it's dynamic, but if we were to ask people around you, uh, is, is, this, is, there, is there a dynamic aspect to their Christian life? They go, well, there's, there's a lot of noise, but the engine ain't moving, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, because I speak in tongues. I'm, I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit because I speak in tongues. It takes more Holy Spirit power to vacuum the carpet for your wife than it does to speak in tongues. Holy Spirit is service. It's other-centered. It's pouring your life out. It's, it's engaging. It's serving. It's, it's denying yourself, picking up your cross. It's, it's confronting sin in love and speaking the truth in love and a balance with that. It's studying to show yourself approved unto God. It's a, it's a supernatural love for his word. It's, it's all of those things. Is that you? No, don't answer. The question is, is that you? Now you may be on the track and you may be born again. Praise the Lord. But my question is, why is the culture affecting us when they're unregenerated and we have the life? Why, why are we allowing chaos to reign? Why are we allowing babies to die Where is the power? Where's the steam? Is it fear? Is it apathy? 
We're aligned. Praise God. We've got our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You, you, you've got your get out of hell free card. But that's a dead orthodoxy. There's no enemies. We have power. Move the train. Move it. I look at um, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. Now they were all believers, but all of a sudden he's preaching and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. It falls upon as they lay hands on them. The Holy Spirit falls upon, but I have to tell you, you look at this and it says, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished and many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Verse 46 of Acts 10, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. So the Holy Spirit has fallen upon them and now they're being baptized physically. And I, I look at this, I think, this, this is what God intends. This, this laying on of hands, it, it, it's, it's not simply the experience of regeneration. It is dynamic power that will transform the world. And this promise of the Holy Spirit is what God gave us. I, um, I'm not going to go long on this tonight, but I would say this. One of my favorite authors is a man by the name of Oswald Chambers. Any of you ever read My Utmost for His Highest? It's a, it's a really great, and his insights are so profound. He died in Egypt. And he's, his, his, if it's still there, it may have been desecrated by now. But, but his gravesite um, on his tombstone was Luke 11. And this is a man that never, he, he struggled with this idea of, of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, this, this dynamic power, asking God. He struggled with it until one day he just yielded to it. Because everyone looks at it, and we're, oh, that's hocus pocus. And listen, we've seen the gamut. I've seen people swinging from chandeliers and, you know, barking in the spirit and, and being slain in the spirit. I, every, all, all I can tell you is, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. I've always believed, and I think Scripture holds to it, that if Christ didn't do it, I don't think he's going to ask us to do it. I didn't see Jesus barking like a dog, or laughing in the Spirit, or being slain in the Spirit. We, we want a lot of noise, but the engine's not moving. It's amazing how we can stir ourselves up into a frenzy and accomplish nothing. We can shout and raise our hands and then we go out there and we're subject to the culture instead of, instead of transforming the culture by the power in the engine. And, and we, we want to drum it up so that somehow we feel as though we've accomplished something by mustering up some sort of a emotional cocktail. And Oswald Chambers struggled just like many of us do. I, I, I for years, struggled with it. I, I was raised in a church that believed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit died with the apostles. 
That was, that was my initial discipleship upbringing. And I remember being at Harvest Christian Fellowship. I was single, I was attending, and they talked about an afterglow. And I loved the worship team. And I remember Alwyn Wall, and he, he was such a great worship leader. And, and I thought, well, he's gonna play more music after the service, and they're gonna be in a, another room, so it'll be even more intimate. I'll get to even be like sitting real close. I'm all for it. I remember there was a girl there. Uh, she wasn't that pretty because it wasn't Michelle, but you know... <laughs> It was the best I could do until I tricked Michelle. And I was thinking, I'm kidding. And, and I thought, well, you know, she's like, I want to go. I said, okay, let's go. And I remember I sat down there and they're playing. I didn't know what an afterglow was. I'd never heard that word my whole life, afterglow. I just, I didn't know. And, and they're worshiping and, and Alwyn says, now we're just going to wait upon the Lord to manifest his gifts to his children, uh, that, that, we would, that he would minister to us. We'd minister to one another. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Gifts? And immediately my chest gets tight and I'm sitting there going, okay, this is, this is one of those wacko charismania churches. And I'm sitting in there and, and, and sure enough, and I, I was a heresy seeker like you can't imagine. I was ready to just, and out of the, I think it was the left, left side of the room, this person starts singing this melodic song, you know, with up and down and it was beautiful and they're singing in this bizarre voice. I, the, the, it was a language I've never heard. I'm like, okay, that's tongues. This, this is one of those churches. And I grabbed her hand to leave. I go, Let, let's go. And she goes, no, 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 I want to stay. I want to stay. And I don't know, she's cute. And I stayed. And Alwyn said, let's wait for an interpretation of that. I'm like, yeah, right. Other side of the room. Same song. Not as good of a singer, but same song. In English. And let me tell you about tongues and the interpretation of tongues. I've sat where I've heard somebody speak in tongues and, and interpret themselves. I struggle with that too. There's nothing spectacular about that. And, it, and it, the edification. But, but when, they, when they interpreted, this is what they said. Now you wouldn't know how to discern this, but this is what they said. They spoke in tongues. They said, God wants the pastors to repent. Uh, they have not been studying the word. They need to. And immediately the person who was facilitating the afterglow stopped them and said, when God speaks, or when, when tongues is used, it's man speaking to God, not God speaking to man. Nowhere in the scriptures. And it's never in condemnation. It's, it's praises and spiritual praises to the Lord. So thank you, but that's not tongues. And that's not the interpretation. You have, to, you have to do things in a balance. It's like riding a bike, though. You're going to screw it up every now and then. You don't want to go, you, yeah, you can't believe you don't know how to ride a bike. Give me that. You give people room to learn. But, but I, I heard this and I thought, okay, there might be something to this. And I remember the first time I thought about this idea of dunamis power. And I was moved by a worship service. And I went forward with a group of the kids in, in, in this altar call. And the, and the call from the person who was preaching was, is your life dynamic? Is there anything that you would want from God that would give you the, a greater ability to serve him? And I had just gone through a, gift, a study of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even though I didn't really think that they were for today, but I still did the study. And I thought, you know, I know the gift of teaching is still legit, even if I'm a cessationist, but okay. And I said, God, would you give me the gift of teaching and preaching? Would you fill me to overflowing that this would be a gift that would honor you and bless others? 
And I can, uh, that it was up at Green Valley Lake. I remember when it happened and everything about my teaching style changed immediately after that. All the things I'd learned, all of a sudden it came into alignment and, and God started to formulate and things. I, I, I have to tell you something. I almost failed public speaking at San Diego Mesa Junior College. My tongue would swell, my hands would shake. I, I had, I, I, it, but now, I, it's him. It's for his glory. So you look at these things, and I would say to you tonight, is a train moving? Is there anything that you would long for from God that would give you a greater ability to serve him? What are you afraid of? What's stopping the train from moving? You're aligned? Yeah, you're a Christian. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're, you're a spiritual member of the body of Christ. What would you like? You have not because you ask not. Where do you get that from? Remember I brought up Oswald Chambers? Struggling with this whole idea of Holy Spirit power coming upon? You know what's on his tombstone? Luke 11. Let me read that to you. You can turn there if you like. It's Luke 11 verses 9 through 13. I'll close with this. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask. Meditate on that for a little bit. Jesus says to you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks, what? And he who seeks, what? And to him who knocks, what? This is Jesus speaking. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? This is the unregenerated world. They still know how to give good gifts. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And look at verse 13. If you, Christian, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, excuse me, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask. Ask Him. I had the privilege to be invited by Eddie Maloney to go and speak at the uh, Overcomers uh, drug and alcohol meeting at uh, Shepherd of the Hills Church. Amen. And I have to tell you something special about that Overcomers meeting. These are men and women who are so transparent that they've looked at the drugs and they said, this illusion has had a hold of me far too long. And they've come to a place where they're disillusioned. And they, they have come to realize that they cannot do it in their own power. Has anyone ever tried to quit a habitual habit and failed? Oh, come on. Yeah? You, you want to have victory over it? You're going to need some power. You got to put some steam in that engine. You're aligned. You're a believer. Christians can be habitual. What do you do? You ask. God, would you give me, uh, um, what do you want? We'll, we'll go through the gifts a little bit later, but what do you need? You have not because you ask not. He'll meet our needs in the riches of Christ. 
And this is that Holy Spirit power. It's not regenerative. It's empowering. It moves the train that you've aligned yourself on the tracks with. This is what Jesus is speaking about, and this is what Luke wanted Theophilus to understand. Theophilus, you're in the Senate in Rome. You want to change the world as you know it? You need some steam in that engine. Folks, we're going to either be subject to the culture or we're going to move the culture. The only enemy is our apathy. There is no external enemy against the church. The unregenerative world does not have God's power. We do. Move the train. Ask him to push it. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to steam up your life and move your heart. Ask him for whatever it is that would glorify him. And I guarantee you he will say yes and amen if you ask according to his will. Amen?